Maybe you don't think too often or deeply about religion and faith. But when you do, you know you want to go to heaven, and you don't want to go to hell. So maybe you do a kind of self-examination. You know you're not perfect, but all in all, your good qualities outnumber your bad ones. And maybe that's the point of religion and faith, to spend a lifetime increasing our goodness and decreasing our badness. Or maybe not. Let's talk about saint and sinner on this edition of Craving Answers, Craving God. I'm Chuck Rathert with Aaron Miller. Aaron is the pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. Aaron, let's say I do a self-examination, and I, admittedly somewhat generously, come up with a 70% grade for good and a 30% grade for bad. Is that how it works? Should I be working to become an 80-20 person? Well, uh, you know, on one level, sure. It's always nice to be around nice people. And, uh, you know, I'd much prefer to live around a, a good neighbor than a bad neighbor. And so like, before other human beings, in the presence of other human beings, yeah, uh, trying to, to do good and to, to be better people is a good thing. But the Bible says that before God, we have a deeper problem. And the problem is, is that God doesn't just examine um, what we do. He doesn't completely, uh, he's not completely interested in what we say and even what we think. But um, God's problem with humans is who we are. There's something that's deep and dark and broken and twisted back behind all the things that we do, good or bad. And so, uh, you know, we're all, the, the Bible insists, and, and I just from my own personal experience of myself, I'm painfully aware that I'm very, very self-centered. In my worst of times, that self-centeredness works out in what we would call bad things. You know, I lose my temper. Uh um, I, I can't remember the last time I threw hands at anybody, but you know, you, you throw a punch at somebody, or, or you say something snarky and sarcastic. Sometimes, though, my self-centeredness works out in what we would call uh, good things. Uh, I'm nice to people, but I'm nice to people because I need them to be nice back to me. Uh, that sort of thing. And so, the the latter part is less damaging than the first part. You know, it's 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 nicer to be around people who are pleasant than it is people who are punching you. But what the Bible says is that what God is looking at is the selfish motives that stand back behind both those good and those bad things. And that's something we as humans can't get away from. We, we are inherently selfish. We're programmed to do things to, to satisfy ourselves. And you know, I, I'd like to think that I love my wife. Let's stop right there for yeah. a second. We're programmed. So when God, I don't even know if this is disrespectful, when God programmed Adam and Eve. Yeah. He didn't program them for that. He programmed them for selflessness. They were actually so selfless that they really weren't even aware that they were naked. That's almost impossible for right. the rest of us to conceive. So what program are we running on now? Well, it's not the it's not the main program. It's almost like a um it's almost like some sort of virus uh in the hardware now at this point. It's, but by the way, it's not a software problem. It is definitely a hardware problem. It's not the way God created us, which I, this is, I'm glad you pointed this out, Chuck. It's something that happened when Adam and Eve rebelled against God and turned in on themselves. We, we talked about that 
in the last episode we did, they turned in on themselves. And so now everything that we do as the children of Adam and Eve, as people who have inherited their same proclivity to self-centeredness, everything we do is turned in on us. And so, like I said, good things, nice things, mean things, bad things, they all, for, for humans, they all flow out of a self-centeredness. And I know that somebody listening to this might think, well, that's very, very cynical. So, you know, it's very skeptical of human nature. That's a, I'd like to think I'm a nice person. And I would just say that, well, yeah, I'm not saying that you aren't a nice person. Again, me, like a, me being kind to my wife, that's a good thing. But honestly, I need things from her. And me being kind to her, I always am doing math in my head about, well, this kindness, I hope that she responds in kind, or I, you know, if she's not responding in kind, I start to lose the, the desire to be kind a little bit because I'm not getting back from her what I wanted to get back from her out of my kindness. And that's uh, the Bible insists that that's, that that's the deep brokenness that lies with inside each one of us. That, that, that ultimately before God, that's what needs to get fixed. God's not measuring what we do or what we say or what we think. God's measuring, are you broken or are you fixed? That's, that's the issue. So I think the Bible talks about two different kinds of righteousness. There is the scripture in Romans that says, there is none good. No, not one. Right, yeah. So all of us have been judged and found yeah. to have come short of the glory of God. But then there is a place, I think it mentions, the Bible talks about Joseph, for example, Mary's Joseph. He was a good man. Yeah. So apparently there is a righteousness that permits the assessment of Joseph as being a good man mm, yeah. and a righteousness that everybody, including Joseph, falls short of. How do we separate those two yeah, things? Yeah, I, I, I think you said it right at the beginning. I mean, one way to say it is the way you said it, which was uh, Martin Luther's way of saying it. There's two kinds of righteousness. Another way to say it is that the word good is being used in two different ways. Uh, you know, when we talk, when the Bible talks, when all of us talk about, man, that guy's a really great guy. What we're doing is we're saying before humans, that person's a good person. They're they're kind, they're generous, they help other people out. But when, when Romans 3, quoting from the Psalms, says that there's none good, it's not denying that. It's not saying that everybody's always doing mean, bad things. What it's saying is that before God, that other kind of righteousness that nobody can match up to that, no matter how good they are or how bad they are, before God there is nobody who's good. Which you know, to go back to the notion of like the 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 hardware virus, some people's uh, hardware virus uh, results in them. Thankfully, and this is a gift of God too, that not everybody murders everybody. Some people's hardware virus results in like really really bad things happening. Both of those people, the people that we would call good in the eyes of other humans or bad in the eyes of other humans, they can all be lumped in one category. As they relate to God, they are bad. They're not good because he's looking at the hardware problem, not at what the, you know, not at what the computer's actually doing. I think there are a lot of folks, non-Christians and Christians, who believe that religion and faith is about the process of self-improvement. Yeah. I look at myself and I say, yeah, I, I need to do better in that area mm -hmm. and I need to do better in this area. And then if that person is listening to us right now, they may be discouraged. Yeah. He just he just took it all away. Right. Doesn't matter how hard I try, doesn't how much I improve, I'm still a bad person. 
Yeah. What would you say to that discouraged person? Well, I'd say go back and listen to our last episode. If you, the the irony of the human condition before God is, is that if you try to make yourself a better person, you will fail. If you allow yourself to be made, to be justified, so we talked about last time, to be justified by God for the sake of Christ without regard to your good deeds or your bad deeds, you will find yourself eventually through the love of Christ, the liberation of not having to, to uh, not having the pressure of having to be perfect or good, morally or whatever, you know, academically, professionally. By not having that pressure, you will find yourself being liberated to actually be good. But ironically, the only way to get there, though, is to say, I can't be good at all. I can't actually make, make this happen. I can't be good at all. Yeah, but in, in the sense of before God, you, we can't be good at all. So let's talk about the sinner part of the equation here. I somewhat generously ascribed to myself a 70-30 grade, 70 good, 30 bad. But I'm thinking maybe I uh, overestimated myself here based on what you're saying, giving myself only a 30% downgrade on the sinner part of the equation. How bad is this problem? Well, it might be 70-30 in terms of before humans. I, I think you're a nice guy, Chuck. Maybe it's 80-20. Well, nice to know. Yeah. Maybe it's 80-20 or 90-10 in terms of like your your kindness and the, you know, the good things that you do for other people and how hard you work and how you love your family. Maybe it's 90-10. I don't know. For some some people, maybe it's 50-50. For some people, maybe it's, you know, what, what is it for Hitler? But you that know? nice like, guy stuff's not going to get me to heaven or that's get exactly me to right, the yeah. uh, great day of the Lord. That's right. Yeah. Before humans, that, that sort of math... 70 30 is pretty good. That's what that's what we want in a, in a in a civil society that's what we want. But in terms of before God, it's not good enough because again he's not judging us based upon that sort of math. He's looking at the hardware and it's broken and it's busted. And so before God there's nothing good. I think there is somebody listening to us who is shocked by what you just said because all their life they have thought of themselves and their friends and acquaintances as God sitting on his heavenly throne, looking down, watching what we do, knowing what we think, looking inside of us and saying, it's not good enough. You've got to do better. You've, you know, you got, you don't go to church enough. You don't do this. You don't do that. And now I think we've taken that all away. We've taken it all away. Empty hands. I could see where somebody would be shocked by that. Uh, yeah, I, I think a certain type of person would be shocked by that. I, I don't know about shocked anymore. I just, I, I in, in the kind of church that I'm at, people are, I think people people know this. There's a certain sort of uh, religious person though, who um, would probably would would think like you like you said at the beginning. There's a certain sort of religious opinion in our culture. It's it's not it's not the it's it's not the only opinion, but. That it is, it is out there that Christianity is basically a moral training ground, and it's to help me become a better person. And that's like that. That's the way I'm going to be judged at the end. And well, I think a lot of people though uh, just reject the notion of this at all. That it doesn't really matter. We're we're, we're not talking about these people today, so I probably shouldn't even bring it up. But people who are very committed to philosophical materialism would say the, even talking about a God or an afterlife or whether 
our actions mean anything at all besides just the random collisions of atoms is nonsense. So I think there's a lot of those people. And we've talked to them before, but I think today we're, I, I, who, the people that you and I are talking to is these religious people. Yeah, and I, I, maybe it's good if they are shocked. I don't know. So in the center part of the equation, which I gave myself a 30%, my problem is maybe 30%, maybe it's worse. So far our conversation has suggested that maybe it's worse. Maybe if I look at the Bible and I read that all my works from Isaiah are like filthy rags, maybe if I read from Paul, there is none who does good, no, not one, maybe the center part of the equation is really 100%. What do you think? Well, yeah, that's, that's exactly well, right. Yeah, of course. I've that's, been turned into 100% center. Well, yeah, before God, that's the thing, is that we're all 100% sinners. You know, the, the hardware is broken. The computer doesn't work. Now, maybe it functions as a nice end table. It holds up your <laughs> cup of coffee. And so you can say, well, it's doing some good. Okay, I'm glad. But, 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 but in terms of, you know, what God's looking for is he, he wants the computers that he made to function the way he wanted them, and they're not. And we can do certain good things with them. And so, again, yes, in terms of before God, it's 0%. In terms of before humans, maybe there's some good that we can do as human beings. That's actually not what we're ultimately judged by by God. It is what we're judged by by other human beings, rightly so. And yes, that's good. That's good. Uh, but before God, you're right. It's 0%. And um, there's really nothing we can do about that because, like I said, the hardware is broken. Let's talk about the saint part of the equation. Let's say that I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I think about my situation, and I've already admitted that, yes, I have some things I need to work on, but I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I'm feeling like in God's, uh, in God's family, I'm, I'm in the upper half, maybe close to 80%. And I take consolation in this. This makes me feel good. Is that okay? Um. Well, again, no, it's not okay. Wow, I just feel like I'm a sparring partner here. It's like boom, 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 <laughs> left, right, left, right. Yeah. You're taking away everything that I cling to. Yeah, I, yeah. That's, I mean, that's what Scripture is doing when it, you know, the, the text you quoted, all of our righteousness is filthy rags. Like there's a two-edged sword. Good. Yeah, there's really, I, there, there's really, we we don't have any righteousness before God. It's just not. It's it's. it's the, too late in the game for none. That. Out of out, after Adam and Eve, yes, there's none. Well, again, I'm thinking to myself: somebody listening to us is becoming awfully discouraged by all this. Um, if 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 all my hard work, I'm thinking about maybe an older person, maybe a person who's lived fifty, sixty, seventy years, and is really looking back on his or her life, saying, "You know, I think I've done all right." A lot of people like to say something like, you know, I'm not such a bad guy, which sort of suggests yeah. that, uh, I, you know, I'm better than I am not good. Right, yeah. And now we've taken it all away. We've left a massive vacuum. How are we going to fill that vacuum? Well, so we need some. We need something from outside of ourselves. If the problem is uh, the hardware, you know, computers aren't self-repairing, you're going to need some sort of technician to come and fix the problem. And um, I, as, as you were talking, I actually – um, in my 
in my experience, the kind of people that say to me, well, I, you know, I, I do, I am a pretty good person. And um, I've had people say to me uh, within the recent past, they, they've said, um, you know, I'm hoping that in the end, it'll, it'll turn out that I've done enough good that it'll, it'll be, you know, worth it in the end. Uh, it, that's usually an age thing. I, I, I agree with you. I, it's, it's usually the younger people that I talk to aren't really interested in this topic. They don't care. Uh, you know, you do what you, you eat, drink, and be merry because it's all going to be over at some point. It's usually the older people. And so that's interesting that, that you would bring that up. Anyway, but back to your question. Yeah, we need something outside of ourselves. And the Bible insists that that's Jesus, is that, well, you and I are turned in on ourselves. And so that even our kindnesses and our our pursuit of justice is tainted by self-interest, that um, God himself became a human being. And uh, there was a, a man named Jesus of Nazareth who walked on this earth and, and was completely untainted by self-interest, was completely turned out towards his father and towards the people that he loved, uh, his friends, and he served them completely uh, in a completely uh, self selfless way. And that our actual only hope to be reckoned before God as good, as righteous, is to somehow get his status as loved by God, completely accepted by God. The Father knows that Jesus is completely righteous, completely holy, completely 100% selfless, to somehow get that onto our account so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see my brokenness and my self-centeredness. He sees Jesus's. And that's what Christianity is actually all about, not about self-improvement, but about God's plan to reckon us righteous for the sake of Jesus. So I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, oh yeah, I've heard all this before. Everything that you just said, I've heard before. I've heard it every week in church. Um, I've heard it in Bible study. I'm very familiar with what you just said, and I'm nodding my head. However, what you may not know is... a lot of what you just said hasn't dislodged my personal pursuit of self-righteousness right. hardly two inches. Yeah. After I'm done nodding my head and I'm done agreeing with you, it's not going to change anything. I'm going to go right back to work with self-justification. Yeah. How come we sort of run into a brick wall there? Well, yeah, so again, there are two kinds of righteousness, right? We have this, you know— um, how we live before humans and how we live before the face of God, uh, two different things. How God views us is one way. How we actually are. So uh, theologians will talk about the difference between um, our position and our condition, which is a fancy way to say this, is that uh, our condition as human beings, like we've been talking about, is completely hopeless before God. That's that's our condition. One hundred percent center. Yes, one hundred percent center. Our position, though, um, because uh, because when God looks at those people who have been baptized into Jesus Christ, when God looks at those people who have faith in Jesus, He doesn't see them; He sees Jesus instead, because they've been united to Christ in such a way that when God sees them, He sees His own Son, His own perfect Son, whom He loves infinitely that that makes our position before God completely 100% perfect. It is actually the position that you and I have before God as 
um, believers in Jesus is the same position that Jesus has, which is 100% perfect. So our position and our condition are are different. One way to one way to think about it is this. Um, so imagine a scenario uh, where there's somebody who's uh, you know committed a crime, uh, and they've actually committed a crime. Let's say somebody's murdered somebody, and um, they did it. They're they're they committed the deed. They get arrested and they get brought into uh, the court. And they go on trial. And for one reason or another, um, maybe it was good lawyers, maybe it was a crooked judge, whatever. It's not important to the story. One reason or another, they get um, their trial, they get acquitted. They get declared not guilty at their trial, even though they actually committed the murder. So now here's the question. Is that person guilty or not guilty of murder? And the answer is both. Yes and no. Yeah. Well, they, they are guilty of murder. They actually did it. But legally, in the eyes of the United States of America, they are not guilty. They can't be tried for that again. They're completely 100% innocent. That, in fact, is the position that we find ourselves as in as uh, followers of Jesus, is that our condition is guilty. We've done the deed. We actually did it. But there was this trial. There's this courtroom scene, and we stood up in the dock and we were questioned by the prosecutor. So Satan is uh, sometimes pictured in Scripture as the accuser, the prosecutor, the prosecuting attorney. Uh, the defense, though, is uh, Jesus. It's God himself. And because the defense is related to the judge, and the judge is willing to go to infinite lengths to, to accommodate what the defense is willing to do to rescue us, namely taking on our own punishment. The judge looks at us and says, okay, you're not guilty. I declare you not guilty. And for Christians, like you're saying, Chuck, we end up living the rest of our lives as guilty people who have been declared not guilty. We still, like, and this, is, this troubles unbelievers too, and, and part of it's really, really fair, is that they look at Christians and they say, well, you're hypocrites, you know, you've got this huge standards that you, you know, you're preaching and you're saying people should live like this and they should be nice Ten people. Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments, and then you don't even keep them yourselves. And Christians want to say, yes, we know, and we're sorry about that. We want to, but ultimately, before God, it's okay that we don't. And that's the wrong way to say it. It's not okay. It's not damning that we do. And it's not damning that you do either. Because we've been in the courtroom, and we know that we're guilty, and there must be some place in God's mind where he knows somewhere back there that we're guilty, but actually the way that he talks about it in Scripture is that he remembers our sins no more. He forgets them. He has slammed the gavel down, said not guilty. That's our status, and that can never, ever be changed. And for Christians, the rest of our life is spent learning to believe that that's ultimately the real reality and not our condition, not the things we actually do. So now we have a math problem because when I opened the program and I said, I look at myself, I'm 70% good, 30% bad, working hard to be an 80-20 person, maybe even someday 90-10. Well, that all adds up to 100%. But I guess I have to broaden my thinking here. You just described me and the rest of us, those who believe in Jesus, as being a hundred percent sinner and a hundred percent saint, 
It doesn't add up. Yeah, I think it's best not to try to add those up, to leave those in two so separate I've lived equations. my whole life. Well, yeah, but I mean, so I'm trying to encourage all of us to think in terms of position and condition. And so there's two separate things going on that as far as your condition is concerned, uh, some of y'all out there are 90-10. You're, you're very sweet people and you're very kind. And some of you all are 10-90. Some of you have mur almost murdered me driving like crazy in traffic. Some of you uh, get angry. Uh, you lose your temper. Some of you have stolen. Some of you justify all these things. Some of you take pleasure in violence, and you're 1090 maybe. You're really bad, 595 maybe. I don't know, whatever. Okay, so just leave that alone for a second. Before God, you're either 0-100. He either says not guilty or he says guilty. That's a 0-100 thing, and that's a separate side. It's a different equation. Now, it applies to you, just like the murderer who's been acquitted and said not guilty. It, he's got all the murder on this side, but he has all the non-murder, the innocence, that the court says, this is who you are on the other side. To keep those things separately and not to confuse those things is important because you'll drive yourself crazy if you think that like somehow you can get up to 100. Your hardware is not going to allow that. You'll drive yourself crazy if... You don't know that God perfectly loves you. You're going to drive yourself crazy. So you're just going to have to keep those things. You're going to have to know, like, I'm a bad person. I do bad things. I do nice things sometimes too, but even those are colored with selfishness. But over here on the right hand, God's completely forgiven me and acquitted me. And he looks at me and he sees me as perfect. When God looks at those who belong to Jesus, he sees perfect people and to learn to live in that reality and to know and trust and believe that God loves me and I'm innocent in his eyes. I'm completely innocent. So it's time to revise my thinking. I look at the Bible and I see God's expectations, his admonitions, his Ten Commandments, all those things that we find in the Old and New Testaments. And I think to myself, these are the things that I'm going to use to improve my score. Maybe I'm 3070. Maybe I really got a lot of work to do. But we've taken all that away. It's not that the law of God penetrates us and then we use it for self-improvement. Right. That doesn't work. Let's talk about covering. So what you just described is the 3070 person, the 7030 person, is 100% saint in the eyes of God, not because that person has used biblical law yeah. to improve, but because God has covered that person with the righteousness that was earned by Jesus Christ. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So I see some covering images in the scriptures. I can go to Genesis 3. As soon as the naked Adam and Eve realize that they're naked because they sin, the first thing they think they need to do is cover themselves. So they use fig leaves. That's not acceptable to God. So later on, he covers them with animal skins. We can go all the way to the book of Revelation, to the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19, where all the saints in heaven are given bright, clean linen coverings, robes. So... If we're not going to use the Bible and God's law to earn our way into that marriage feast of the Lamb, 
but we're going to get into it by covering how does that work for a person who's been using his, his tools to try to accomplish that, and now it's taken away, how do, how do I get covered? How does that work? Well, so first of all, I would tell that person, keep on working at being a better person. Your neighbor appreciates it. But don't imagine that it's actually changing how God thinks about you. It, it doesn't, before God, it, it's worthless. It's a radical thing, what yeah. you just said there. Yeah, I, I, think, I think so. I think it's biblical. Um, the, covering, the covering part is this, is that the Bible talks about, so whether it's fig leaves, uh, you said fig leaves didn't work. <clears throat> That's true. Or whatever it is they were using to cover themselves up, uh, some sort of like leaf covering. Uh, whether it's animal skins, uh, the Bible says that doesn't work either. You know, the animal skins covered Adam and Eve up, you know, ultimately underneath it, they're still the same broken people that rebelled against God. You get to the, like you mentioned the book of Revelation and the white robes, which are a picture of the reality that the rest of the New Testament talks about as union with Christ. Paul says in Galatians 3 that what we need is not some sort of outside thing to get us right with God or to make us good or to give us status, like a, you know some sort of physical symbol like circumcision, he says, or um, he says uh, talks about in other places of Scripture, uh, good works that we might do. What we actually need to do is to appear before God in that courtroom, but to do so in a way that when God looks at us, he won't see that mess. He'll see his son, Jesus, the one thing that actually infinitely satisfies him. The Bible talks about this in terms of union with Christ. God plugs us through baptism. God plugs us into Jesus in such a way, again, that when God looks at Jesus, he sees us. And when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. And everything that God the Father gives to Jesus, infinite love, infinite credit for being faithful to the covenant, infinite righteousness, infinite acceptance, now we get that. Because since we've put on Christ, Paul says in Galatians 3, we've been clothed with Christ. Since we've been plugged into Jesus, since we're one with Christ, now we're covered up by Jesus. That's what we're covered up with. So that when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. That's our only hope. So I guess what we've been talking about in the context of self-improvement is what we sometimes refer to as legalism, using God's law in order to get structure for our self-improvement project. Legalism doesn't save. Right. Legalism, although I find great comfort in it because I actually feel like I have improved myself yeah. in the last couple of years, I cling to that. I really get uncomfortable when you take it away. Well, it's actually a great way to improve yourself too. Like doing what God tells us to do is a great way to improve your life. All I'm saying though is it doesn't matter to God. Like when he sees us, your hardware is broken or it's not broken. You know, you might be a nice coffee table as, as a broken computer. Uh, maybe, you, maybe you're like some sort of cool art installation that somebody's made using old broken computer. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Before God, you're completely guilty. But it's still good. Like the law still helps us be better people before our neighbors. I'm seeing a glimpse off in the distance as I think this through. That if I actually relinquished my white knuckled grasp on all of my perceived good works and I were relieved of that burden, I can almost hear chains breaking. I can almost perceive a kind of a liberty or freedom. Yeah. 
you're nodding your head, yeah. Yeah. But it's it's far into the way I've perceived all these things for so long. I'm it's sort of off in the distance. How do I get closer yeah. to it? Yeah, and so again, I, I would just recommend people if you haven't didn't listen to the previous episode to go back and listen to it. Just, I'll just give you a quick example, and I, and I think that I used this example last time too. You know, the key to being a good father is to try harder. You should read, you should read books about how to be a good father. Read read the Bible to talk about how to be a good father. You can try harder to be a good father, and, and that's good. That's good. Before your kids, they'll appreciate it. But ultimately, that's going to end up crushing you personally because the weight of being a good father is not a weight that any human dad can carry. It's not a weight that any human child can carry for their father. It will inevitably turn into that. My passion to be a good father depends upon my kids turning out a certain way. That will crush them. Now, when when I stand before God and I say, you know what? I can't be the father that you want me to be. I need forgiveness. I need you to plug me into Jesus so that you don't see my bad parenting anymore, that you see him. What that's going to do is, that's what you talk about, chains breaking. That's going to liberate me. Once I realize that before God, I don't have to be a good dad to please God. I don't have to. He, he accepts me even if I'm a bad dad, good dad. He accepts me because I've been plugged into Jesus. All of a sudden, that pressure to do the right thing to say the right thing, to say the smart dad thing when there's like tension with your kids or to make the right decision about where they're going to go to school or to, you know, the, the pressure of like making sure they're good at sports or good at academics or have good health. All that pressure is gone. And once that's gone, I can love my kids without putting on them the burden that they need to be good kids in order to validate me. I don't need validated. I'm already validated by God and Jesus Christ. I've been justified. I'm 100% perfect. That's going to actually, like I said earlier, ironically, it's going to live the, the, the not needing to be a good dad is going to liberate me to actually, for the first time, become a better dad. Not perfect, of course, but to become a better dad because I don't need them to validate me anymore. I don't need my neighbors to validate me. I don't need to get the raise to validate me. I don't need to be good at golf to validate me. I've been validated by Jesus Christ. When God looks at me, he sees Jesus and he says, I'm 100% perfect. I don't need any of that other stuff. And what it will do, it will liberate me eventually to be better at that stuff. So I guess we use a couple of religious terms here that sometimes become vague in our minds. The first one is grace. We go from being people who think we have to earn favor with God or merit his favor to people who understand that God extends grace to us. That is, his favor is ours, not because we merit it, but because we can't. And then the pivot point, I think, is faith, this gift, what the Bible describes as gift, Yeah. faith, meaning that whereas I was in Isaiah's bucket when we started our conversation, all my works are like filthy rags before God, to actually I have uh, works that uh, have God's approval. They are good works, not meritorious, but good works because they're done in faith. They're done as a result of the righteousness that covers the Christian. Did I say that right? Yeah, but to to add it to another, maybe the deepest level to the faith thing is learning learning to trust and believe that my good works actually don't matter before God. 
to learn, learning to trust and believe that my ultimate reality is not the things that I th- say or think or do, as important as those are. My ultimate reality, the real me, is the person that has been plugged into Jesus, and God says, you are 100% perfect for the sake of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, you know, I look in the mirror and I'm like, that's not true. I'm not 100% perfect. What faith says, though, is like, yes, God says it. God says that Jesus died for you and rose from the dead for you, and you the are 100% perfect. The judge dropped his gavel. That's right. The, the, the not guilty verdict is in. That's what's real. Believe it. That's where the faith comes in. Martin Luther is credited with coining the Latin phrase simul justus et peccator, or translated as at the same time, saint and sinner. Right. Jesus once said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So if we have acknowledged that, yes, we're not going to get out of this life being a, being 100 zero. I'm not going to go from right. 70-30 to 80-20, eventually to 100-0. That's right. not going to happen. On the day that I close my eyes in death, I'll still be a 100% sinner, covered by 100% righteousness, making me 100% saint. Can you elaborate just f- for a moment? I know you already addressed this to a certain extent, but I'm thinking a person who comes to this program with a certain amount of legalism in right, his yeah. or her mind might not have gotten to a home plate here yeah. on the the truth shall set you free part. Can right. you talk about that? Yeah. So again, when Luther says, you know, simul justus et peccato, at the same time, saint, 100% perfect, and sinner, 100% guilty. All he's saying is that keep those two math equations separate. You're 70, 30, you're, you know, 60, 40, 80, whatever it is, you know, like keep that separate from the either 0% before God if you're not in, in, in Jesus Christ or the 100% before God if you're not in Jesus Christ. Keep those two things separate because they're both simultaneously true. Christ. Oh, did I say it wrong? Yeah, if you are in Jesus Christ. Yeah, thank you. Keep those two things separate. Look, there, there are little sweet old ladies who are super kind to people. They're 90-10. There are murderers in prison who are 10-90 who have turned to faith in Jesus Christ and been baptized into him. One of them is a good person. We would call that the, the old lady, a, that sweet old lady, a good person. That's a good way to use that word. We would call the murderer a bad person. That's a good way to use that word. It's true. And wherever you are on that spectrum, that's where you are. However, on the other side, keep these things separately. The old lady is 100%. The murder is 100%. They're both in Jesus Christ. They both get the 100%. And to keep those two things separately and recognize that our condition as human beings is not good. Our condition in Jesus Christ is perfect. And so before God, we've been completely accepted by Jesus Christ. I hope our conversation today has been eye-opening. I know that uh, in listening to Pastor Miller talk today that it's eye-opening for me. We want to say thank you for listening to Craving Answers, Craving God. With Aaron Miller, pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. If you'd like to comment on the show, you'll find a comment option at the bottom of the episode page. Please let us know what you think. I'm Chuck Rathard. Thanks for listening to Craving Answers, Craving God.